0: What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Leadership today is more than just a position in an organization. It's also a mix of proven practices that produce results. Welcome to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Our program will bring you the how and why of successfully led businesses or organizations with not-for-profit goals, and how you can apply the Adizas methodology and make it work for you. Now, here is Dr. Ishak adesis
1: Hello, hello, hello to everyone. I'm sorry I was gone for some time, uh, and we had to rerun some of my past lectures, but I was really very much taken uh, and I could not uh, in time make the recording. But now we are back on the track. I am right now in Podgorica, it's the capital of Montenegro. And I just came back from a meeting with the Prime Minister, and I am uh, kind of helping him restructure his government and giving some advice on what to do. I've been doing some advising to this country for the last two, three years. Um, let me tell you something about this country. You might find it very interesting. Montenegro used to be part of Yugoslavia and used to be part of Serbia. That's why Serbia was called Serbian Montenegro. In 1991, when the Yugoslav Federation fell apart, uh, they have succeeded to separate themselves from Serbia. Now, I'm uh, born in Yugoslavia and I go to Yugoslavia very, very frequently. And always in Belgrade, they kind of uh, put down Montenegro as being a dustbin of Yugoslavia. That really should not be interesting. I should not go there. There is nothing there. So all my life, I ignored Montenegro because of the bad reputation they had in Serbia. Well, uh, about four years ago, uh, I met in a convention of of business schools, the dean of the business school here from Montenegro. And uh, he asked me to come and lecture in, 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 in this country and begged me to do that. And he told me it's going to be good and interesting anyway. I was on my way anyway to Slovenia, which is another part of Yugoslavia. So I said, OK, I will stop over and just give this lecture. Why not? Try a new country. Oh my god, I discovered heaven on earth. Let me tell you where Montenegro is and if you have any one of you has a chance to visit this country, I strongly recommend. What a surprise. Montenegro is located below Croatia, above Albania and west of Serbia and Macedonia. So it is on the Adriatic Across from Italy. What is so beautiful about this country? First of all, it has more beautiful beaches than Croatia. It is located below the Croatia Marina, you might call it Marina, or what is it called the 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 below the Croatian Riviera, above the Greek Riviera, and across from the Italian Riviera. I mean, it's surrounded by Rivieras. And guess what? It has even more beautiful a coastline than all the three of them put together. It is beautiful. Why is it so beautiful? It has the only a fjord south of Norway. Can you imagine a beautiful fjord here in the center of Europe? It is one hour flight from Rome, one hour flight from maybe a little bit more from Frankfurt. It is close to all the top places in Europe and it is unexplored. They're advertising and trying to encourage tourists to come to this country. They call it the wild beauty and it sure is wild. Underdeveloped, still original, pure, clean. You can get on your knees and drink right from the river water. Can you imagine in Europe a river that you can drink the water from its origin, it's passing by? Clean air, their constitution say that they are an organic nation. What does it mean? That all the food here is made organically as a a request of the constitution. Uh, The country is very small, 600,000 people. Only 126,000 people are in the working relations the others are children or old people. So it's a very small country big mountains along the coast, that's why it's called Montenegro, Black Mountains. 54% of the country is untouched forest, so it is a lot of fauna, a lot of natural beauty. It is the most beautiful mountains. Uh, you can swim and after one hour, maximum one hour and a half, you can be skiing in the winter. Um, so it is a the location for tourism forthcoming in Europe. Why are here? Well, the Russians are very much interested in this part of the world. This is their exit to warm water. There are three flights from Moscow every day, and they are buying everything in sight. They buy the whole, any piece of land they can buy. So all at once, it became. More tourists, more—I would say—foreigners living here than maybe the locals. The whole demographic is changing, and then also the developers are building housing here, small apartments, selling them at high prices. It is turning to be like Malaga, the, the coast of Spain, or 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 Acapulco, and it's very dangerous because the beauty can be this de- can be destroyed. So in my work as a consultant, I try to put some breaks to this, to break to development. Small is beautiful. Underdeveloped is beautiful. To try to push for ecotourism rather than massive tourism, which is very dangerous. It will destroy the beauty. They don't have the labor, the manpower to do mass tourism. Anyway, so that is my job here. I'm in this beautiful country. And I'm here for three days to consult with the Prime Minister, and I'm also uh, the chairman of the central bank of this country. And tomorrow we are reviewing the financial and the monetary policy of the country, especially in light of what's happening in Europe. So I made my my advertising for Montenegro, and anyone of you that is um, taking a boat up to Dubrovnik in Croatia, just further go down and you will get to Montenegro and you'll be surprised at the beauty that you will discover. I think that's enough for me to make this advertising for this beautiful country. And now I really got back to management because that's what this channel is about, this broadcasting is about. Today uh, in Montenegro they introduced my books which were just published in Serbian and I had about 300 people in the audience uh, to introduce the books. Um, it was introduced by the governor of the Central Bank of the country, introduced one of the books, his deputy introduced a second book, and the dean of the School of Economics here with 3,500 students introduced my third book. There are three books simultaneously published in the Serbian language. And it was my turn to speak and here's what I told them, which I think you will appreciate hearing too. I said that how did I write books? How do I write books, as a matter of fact? And I have 15 books translated to 26 languages, most of them. And I'm right now writing three more books simultaneously, parallel. How do I write my books? And it, and I shared with the audience, and I said, I write by simply Where do I get my material? That's the question. Not how I write, but where do I get my material? It is by watching life. By watching life. By watching what's going on. And I think I should explain that in more detail, because, but let's do that after the break, because this is a material which I would not like to have interruptions on. So let's take a break and then I'll come back and tell you.
0: The boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The ADESIS management methodology increases the speed at which organizations are able to implement change and solve their problems. The methodology introduces an innovative process, culture, and system that allow organizations to achieve dramatic growth in both revenue and profits. Build your success from within. ADESIS management methodology is delivered by the ADESIS Institute. With offices worldwide, introducing a new management paradigm. Visit www.adesis.com for the Adhesis Institute today.
1: Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific.
0: This program brings you practical
1: and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in
0: and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. (laughs) You are listening to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to paula at adesis.com, spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel, Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program.
1: Because the audience was composed of a lot of students and some faculty, I told them that when I got my doctorate from Colombia, and I was walking with a diploma in my hand, feeling The top of the mountain, feeling very good about myself. The doors to one of the study rooms opened. The students came out. They just finished taking their qualifying exams for the doctoral degree. Qualifying exams means those that pass the qualifying exams are allowed to start writing their dissertation. So they were about two years behind me. That's how long it takes to write a dissertation one to two years behind me. I, in my Arrogance because I was holding my doctoral di- diploma in my hand, said, can I please see the exam? two years behind me, please, that's all. I looked at the exam, and to my shock, I realized I would have failed that exam. The day I got my doctorate, the day I got my diploma, I realized I was already obsolete. What's going on? World is moving very fast. Knowledge is accumulating faster than ever in the history of mankind. When you get your degree, that's not the end. This is the beginning. And what do you do? Continue learning. Learning from whom? Which classes do I take? And then I, I shared another story to make the point. Some years ago, the Australians went to compete against Americans in what's called American Cup, which is a 12-meter sailing boat competition. America has never lost that competition, never. Australians went to compete against them, and the Australian that went to compete invested $8 million into this competition. Uh was somebody that listened to my lectures, so apparently got impressed and invited me for the finals, the competition in Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, and by the way, he won. And then during the dinner, he told me why he won. He used my methodologies for complementary team and building mutual trust and respect between the different, the, between the skipper and the tactician, which is always there is a conflict between them. And that was his secret, he said. That conflict can cause you to lose the, 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 the competition. And I worked very hard to build the right complementary team with the right mutual trust and respect. Anyway, during dinner, before the finals, I'm sitting at this He rented a house there. The phone rings, and he went to answer the phone. When he came back, his face was a little bit long. So I say, Al, uh, what happened? He says, well, I just found out I lost $20 million. I ask him, how does it feel to lose $20 million? He says, Ichak, let me tell you how I look at it. I'm a lucky man. I'm a very successful man. I have the capability to take a course in the University of Life where the fee for the course is $20 million. There are not too many people that can afford a course that costs $20 million to take. Now the question is I already paid for the course. Now the question is Did I pass the exam or did I fail the exam? What does it mean? Did I learn from it or did I not learn from it? If I learn from it, Oh my God, I have paid $20 million to learn a lesson and not too many people can afford $20 million to learn the lesson. So I I feel pretty good about it. I learned from it. So what does it really mean? Problems are invitations to learn. That's why in all my writings, I say, don't ask yourself, why do you have a problem? Don't ask yourself why you have a problem. Exchange the word why with a synonymous word. In all languages, is a synonymous word. And it is what for. Why means what for, synonymous words. Ask yourself, what for do I have this problem? The word why does not give you an answer. Do you realize that a little child, five years old, can defeat an argument of a poly, uh, of a Nobel Prize winner with just repeating one word three times, maximum five times, maximum. And the word is why. A Nobel Prize winner explains something. When he finishes, the little kid says why. Now they explains further why. By the third or fourth why, the Nobel Prize winner will say, I don't know. Do you realize how shallow is this why? We really don't know much, you know that? We think we know, but we really don't know much. So all you need to dig three times wise and you'll find out that we really don't know. So it's, it's really not helpful to try to diagnose a problem with the word why. The triggering word should not be why, should be what for? What am I here to learn from this problem? What is this problem trying to tell me? And there is a rule the Lord has made, apparently. If you fail the course in the university of life, you will repeat the course. You will repeat and repeat and repeat until you pass. There is no free pass. You have to repeat the course until you learn. And then when you learn, you're allowed to advance to the next course. So basically what I'm saying to you is what you learn is not from books. You can learn from books, but you learn a hell of a lot more from the University of Life. How? By focusing on problems, your problems, other people's problems, look and ask yourself, what for, what for, what for? And that's what I did, that's how I write my books. I constantly observe and ask, what does it mean, what does it mean? And then when I think I understand it, I write it up, either in my blog or in my books. And I put all my blogs together and make a book out of it. And to do that requires courage. Why courage? Because it's not like scientific work where you find something and you can statistically, mathematically prove it's right, so it's defendable. Looking at life and seeing what do you think it means, you're exposing yourself to criticism. People can say you're shallow, you are uh, you didn't research it enough, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. We live in a world today which is very, very bureaucratic. What does it mean? People have to be proving something, scientifically or otherwise, you know, they are subject to criticism. They don't know what they're talking about. So people are afraid to think. I realize that people are afraid to think. People are afraid to speculate because when you think you're speculating, you have to prove everything. Everything is becoming very, very, very numbers oriented. with I don't know, cross-pollination, mathematical, statistical proofs. People don't write any more opinions. The academic world is becoming stale. Everything is to be with some statistical, mathematical, methodological proof. It took courage for me to write my books, to say no feel and no pretension. It is what I believe. It is the insight I had. It is what I think. And if I'm wrong, just tell me and if you can prove me wrong, I thank you. Why I thank you? Because I learn from you. I learn from people who disagree with me. I don't learn anything from people that agree with me. I learn from people who disagree with me. So I invite you to read my books, I invite you to read my blogs, and to disagree with me so that I can learn. So to summary, the way I was writing my books, I told the audience, all these young people, is by watching life. By looking for problems, try to understand problems, and then have no fear, to express what you think about it, and then invite people to disagree with you so you can learn from them and you're creating a learning environment continuously growing. That's what I told the young people in Montenegro. That's what I also said in a tape that I sent to ISEC, which is Association of Students of Economics. And that's what my mantra is not to have fear not a fear to think, and then not a fear to share your thoughts and be subject to criticism, because through criticism you learn and you grow. Let's take one subject that I learned this week, as a matter of fact, just flying on a plane. I don't know why it hit me, and I started understanding something about mutual trust and respect, which I didn't understand until now. But in order to get there, let's take a break.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Adesis Speakers Bureau can present the Adesis methodology and its approach to harnessing the power of change to your top management team. The presentations, either in person or via a live video hookup, can be delivered in a two-, four-, or six-hour format. Participants can derive immediate benefit from the material and put their new knowledge to use right away. For luncheons, corporate retreats, and strategic planning meetings presented in a variety of languages, visit www.adesis.com. We are in the midst of a global sovereign debt crisis that could lead to the ultimate risk for the world economy, the removal of the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. What will this event really mean to the markets? And more importantly, what does it mean for you and your family? Listen to Global Currency Watch with your host, Stephen Ayer, to get a full and objective look at the world's sovereign debt crisis and help you prepare for when the crisis envelops the United States. Global Currency Watch airs live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. You are listening to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to paula at adesis.com, spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel, Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program.
1: It is what I learned this week. I don't know how it happened. I think I was sitting on a plane thinking about something, and all at once I said, aha, some of you that read my books or heard my lectures in the past might think there is nothing new. I'm just repeating myself. It will be like a criticism of telling a painter, you are painting all the time the same thing. Again, you are using the red color. Again, you're using the green color. So what is new? The same colors over again. (laughs) But the composition is different. Same thing here. You know, when you have an idea, you think you know it, then you see a new combination. Then you see something new, which you did not see before. To me, it's already new. Although it is similar to what I had before, but there is an improvement. And it is the improvement. And for those of you who read my blogs, it's going to be appear as a blog, I think, in the next two weeks because I immediately wrote it down. When I get insights like this, I immediately write it down uh, in order not to forget it. What happens when there is change? What does change really mean? Change means that there is something new. There is a new phenomenon. Something new is happening. What happens when there is something new? Well, you have to decide what to do, including to decide not to do anything. In other words, you have to make a choice. You might decide to do nothing, okay? But you just made a choice. That is a decision. To decide includes to decide not to do. That's a decision too. You have to decide. You cannot run away. Even when you run away, you just decided to run away. So you're constantly deciding. And what happens when you're deciding about something new? that's happening in front of you. There is uncertainty. Why uncertainty? Because it is new. And because it is new, not all the information is available. You have total information, even that is questionable, but almost total information after the fact. Because what happened? The fact that the phenomena is frozen, And now you can look at it from all angles, as much as you want, and get as much information as you want. When you're looking into the future, no, you cannot do that. Not all the information is available. So there is uncertainty. And handling uncertainty creates stress. That's why we say, when there is change, we say, oh, my God, we have a problem. We have a problem. Why do we have a problem? Because we have to make a choice. We have to decide. And information is not, total information is not there, so we have to speculate. You have to process information through your head. It all requires energy, and energy, that energy is, ex- using that energy is expressed in stress. There's another source of the stress, and it is in the implementation. Deciding is not good enough. You have to also implement the decision this is two different things. There was a prime minister in Israel, Levi Hall, They complained to him because he did not follow up on a certain decision. And he said, I promise you to decide. I did not promise to implement. How many times we decide and we don't implement? <laughs> All the time. In my personal case, I decided to go on a diet. And I have a problem with implementation. And Mark Twain said, it's very easy to stop smoking. I've stopped a million times after every cigarette. <laughs> so it's stopped in between cigarettes. What am I telling you? You have to decide, which it has uncertainty, and thus it's stressful to make a decision. And then to implement is involving risk. Why? When you implement a decision, it might not work. It might not be what you thought it's going to be, or the conditions are, have changed from the time you decided to the time you're implemented. It might backfire. In other words, you did not see all the information, and now that you're implementing it, oops, a risk a risk occurred that you did not predict when you made the decision. So uncertainty is in decision-making. Risk is in the implementation. Let me try it again. If you make a decision and you suffer from the uncertainty of making a decision, but you don't implement the decision, there is no risk. Why? Because you did nothing, including the decision to do nothing. But you didn't implement the decision to do nothing. You're still doing something, you see? So, risk occurs because of the implementation. If you don't implement, there is no risk. But if you implement and you don't decide, you, t- <laughs> you took the risk. But there was no certainty because you didn't make any decision. Basically, whenever there is change, we have two sources of stress in the decision-making because of uncertainty and in the implementation because of risk. Managing change deals with uncertainty and with risk. Both of them create stress. So what? Oh, oh, there is a big so what. To be a manager, why do executives get paid more? Because they have to deal with uncertainty and with risk. They have to handle stress. Some managers like to manage, but they don't like the stress. So what's happening? They become bureaucrats. They just repeat the decision that was made last year or whenever and don't have to think how to make a new decision. So they avoid uncertainty. They just repeat the decision in the manual. And they don't take risk. Why? Because they're implementing something that was already established so they can pass the blame if it doesn't work on somebody else who ever made the decision in the past. They are just copying. They don't take responsibility. What's happened? People that cannot stand the stress of management cannot stand the stress of management are bad managers. So what is management training? Is how much stress can you take? And the higher you go into organizational hierarchy, the more stress. You know who is the, <laughs> the biggest stress of them all? The President of the United States. Can you imagine making decisions on global economy and global political situations, how much uncertainty there is? And then there is risk when he implements it. The risk he took in order to catch Bin Laden and to kill him. Put his political future on the line. The higher you go in the hierarchy, the more stressful it is, unless you become a bureaucrat. And you just follow the manual. But these are not managers. These are bureaucrats. Management training, executive training, leadership training. What is it about? How to handle stress? Well, how can we reduce stress? in decision making let's start with that how can we reduce stress in decision making if we have a complementary team working well together with mutual respect and what is mutual respect when we learn from people who disagree with us so you want people that command and grant respect they know how to disagree without being disagreeable so if you surround yourself with such kind of people people that disagree with you in an agreeable way. Because complementary team means that different people see different angles. They say different things that you cannot see. If you're an entrepreneurial type, you see the big picture, but you don't see the details. It is an administrative type. The, what do I call it? The bureaucrat who sees all the problems of implementation, all the details. So you need somebody to compliment you, to tell you where the holes in your argument are, what you did not see. You need a complimentary team, and I won't get into it now. You can find it in my books. How do you build a complimentary team? What kind of people? But the bottom line is, you want people that are different from you, who compliment you. And what happens now to uncertainty? It's reduced. Why? Because they handle information that you could not see that you could not handle because of the limitations of your personality. So a complementary team does it. Only if there is mutual respect. And what is mutual respect? When we learn from each other, when we are open to learn from each other, that's what respect is all about. To recognize the sovereignty of the other person to think differently. How do you reduce the risk on the implementation side? By creating common interest. So all those that are necessary for implementation get behind the wheel and start pushing. They share the implementation. And now what's happening? You reduce the risk, why? Because (laughs) the people that can rock the boat are rowing the boat. You see, I always say, those that can rock the boat should be rowing the boat. So if I need other people for implementation of the decision, if they cooperate, my risk is reduced, or let's put it differently. If the people I need for implementation fight me, they don't have a buy-in, they undermine me and put sticks in the wheels, what happens to risk? goes exponentially high. A common interest will happen only if there is mutual trust. Why? Because there is no common interest in the short run. There is no common interest in the short run. You have to make the people realize there is common interest in the long run. Why would they believe it? Only if there is mutual trust. So what does it mean? When you have a company, there is no mutual respect and no mutual trust. There are two choices. Either you're getting a very stressed manager up there who is going to be making mistakes because too much stress and too much information to be handled. Or you're going to get a bureaucrat to avoid the stress by just repeating what he did yesterday, tomorrow. Both are no good. But if you have a company where there's a mutual complementary team with mutual trust and respect, the common interests, what's happening? They can make better decisions and implement them faster. So what does it all mean? If you want to have a successful company, which companies are going to be successful? Especially in this changing, fast changing environment, complex environment. Companies that have a culture of mutual trust and respect. In such a culture, stress is handled much better. Thus, better decisions are being made. And the implementation is faster and more flexible. If you encounter any difficulties, we can change. And companies that have a culture of no trust and no respect, the stress is very high. And eventually they will make a mistake or implement badly a good decision and the company is going to fail. We are back to the importance of mutual trust and respect. Let's take a break and then we'll come back and say, how do we do it?
0: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Join the Odesis Graduate School for online masters and PhD programs. Get involved with in-depth research into how change can be managed on many levels across disciplines and cultures worldwide. The clinical programs train practitioners with methods that have been used with exceptional results by certified Odesis associates and clients for decades. Core concepts include the proven Odesis theory and spiral dynamics an emerging theory of human social evolution. For more information, go to School.org. America has partnered with the Kidstar Network to expand their reach through Voice America Kids. Voice America Kids will feature talk radio for kids by kids, along with special event programming and live broadcasts. Each program is conveniently archived for on demand listening at any time. Please check our archives for the latest events and happenings on VoiceAmericaKids.com. What does a visual workplace mean to you? Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to ADESIS Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak ADESIS. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to paula at adesis.com Spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel. Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program.
1: But you see, this mutual trust and respect that I'm constantly talking about all over the world, and I'm like a, I don't know, like a missionary for the subject. We have to understand it's not easy to have. It's not, oh, I just to understand it, and that's it. From now on, we just implement it. Far from it. It is one of the most difficult things to do. Let's take the difficulties. What are the difficulties? Mutual respect means that you recognize the the right of the other party to think differently. What very often happens, in my experience, when you let somebody express his opinion and tell him to give you advice, they get mad if you don't implement what they're advising you. I even had some people telling me, you know, you asked me, I told you what they think, and you didn't do it, so why did you ask me? Why did you waste my time? What's happening? They expect that what they're contributing, whatever they're advising, it will be implemented. But you know what this is? This is a lack of mutual respect and trust. Because they're trying to control you. Mutual respect means I hear you, but do you hear me? You have to give me the choice to do, implement what you're saying or not to do what you're saying. I'm asking you to give me your opinion, not to give me your final decision I'm supposed to follow. It happens in many marriages. You ask your spouse, what do you think? Your she tells you. Then you disagree with them and do something else, and they are out of their mind upset. Why did you ask me if you're not going to do it? <laughs> And I tell my wife, I didn't ask you what to do. I asked you what do you think I should do. There's a major difference. And then I decide what I want to do. I'm responsible for my decisions. I'm not asking you to give me instructions what to do. So it's not easy to establish a culture of mutual respect. People have to learn from each other. Their egos get in the way. Because if I agree with you, that means that I'm not worthy. So I'm going to fight you. I'm not going to agree with you I'm going to find holes in your arguments till the cows come to, 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 to whatever it's called. Not easy to implement mutual, mutual respect in a company. Trust? It's even more difficult. Can I trust you that you will reciprocate in the future? Yes, if I have experience with you in the future. So you have to build trust and it takes time and how long does it take to build trust? Long time. How long does it take to lose trust? <coughs> Bingo. You know, all it takes is one mistake. And I lost my trust in him. And when there, there is a high rate of change, respect and trust are threatened. Why? Because we because constantly have to make decisions about new things. And... Uh, I'm constantly being challenged whether I can trust you, whether I can learn from you, whether I can respect you. So it is a continuous struggle to prove yourself, continuous struggle to identify. It's not easy to create a culture of mutual trust and respect. A business institute specializes in this. I devoted 44 years of my life to develop methodologies that will increase mutual trust and respect in a company. And let me give you the bottom line for those of you who are not involved in that methodology with, as clients. To build mutual trust and respect, to develop it and to nurture it, takes more than to talk about it. And you cannot train people to the point where they will maintain it just by being trained how to say thank you and how to listen very carefully and how to look the person in the eye, and how to share the same language, like all the people train you to do. In my judgment, is not enough, because we did not do the roots of the problem. And what are the roots of the problem? Tools. Do you have the tools to communicate to somebody else who thinks differently? And the danger there is that you get annoyed with them because they represent what you disagree with yourself, that they are now articulating it. So instead of being upset at yourself, you're upset at them. But they are really nothing more than representing your ideas that you didn't articulate, which are against ideas that you have on the other side. You need tools. And and let me put some advertising here. We at this Institute have courses to teach people how to build the cultural mutual trust and respect. It requires rules, rules of behavior, rules, behavior rules that we follow. And we have had success all over the world. We have success. And we are constantly learning, constantly learning. I'm right, I always look for companies which are very difficult to manage, that have a very bad culture, or a country where there is a very bad culture which you trust and respect. And I try to see how can I improve my methodology and get it stronger and stronger and more and more sophisticated. An example would be Russia. In Russia, you see, when the president shows up to a meeting, everybody shuts up. Nobody speaks up. There is a total silence. Why? Fear. Fear. There is no mutual respect. What is expected is a admiration and total You know, accepting the leadership of one person. So they build individuals who really manage them, and they don't participate in decision-making, which is very bad. Because that individual, no matter how good he is, eventually is going to make a mistake, like Stalin did, like Hitler did. Democracy has a better chance of not making mistakes or making mistakes it can cor- con- correct promptly because different people contribute differently, and then who emerges as the leader depends what the situation calls for, which is not the case in, you know, other countries as I described here, where they don't have mutual trust and respect. It's not easy. So you need tools. And the tools are you have to develop common mission and values, develop and constantly redo it, redo it to be up to date. You need a structure who decides about what, who participates with what, who advises whom, who is the final word on what, where is authority lie, where is the power lie. It has to be articulated and systematized. It cannot be helter-skelter, because energy flows through the system, and if it's not organized correctly, productivity goes down, energy is wasted, and we don't achieve the goal that we wanted. Another part of structure is who has authority, how the should be. Not everything should be centralized, and not everything should be decentralized. Well, what is what and who makes the decision and who is the final word? All of that is done after destruction of the company first. And what's the third thing to do for structure? We already know what we are responsible for. We have the authority to do it. What is the third component? Rewards. Why am I doing it? What for? Do I get rewarded? It's not an easy subject because many people pay attention to salaries and fringe benefits as, as that is the reward. Herzberg already showed many years ago that money is not a reward. Money is a demotivator. What does it mean? You don't feel motivated if you get it. But if you don't get it, you feel demotivated. Well, that's one of them. And the other one is intrinsic rewards. How committed am I to the mission of the organization? People die for a mission. People kill for a mission. Mercenaries. Go to war for a mission. It's the most, the strongest motivator there is. Do we have a clear enough mission that's motivating? Are we all behind it? Have we articulated it enough that we can identify with it? And what happens after mission? What is the structure to deliver the mission? And after that, what is the information flow? Who gets what information to make decisions? And how does he know? How good are the decisions that he made? How good was the implementation? Without information, you are a lost ship. Without a compass, you are lost. With all your goodwill, with all the money, you don't know where you are, you don't know where you are going. So we need a compass. We need to know what the core organization is. We need to have a common vision and values. We have to know what the authority is for making decisions. So we have to look at the organization chart. And what else do we need? We need the process. How do we communicate with each other? Everybody thinks differently. Well, we sit around the table. Who speaks about what, when? So that we can all follow and we can all learn. And the last one is what kind of people do we have in the organization? Are they mature? Emotional you know, maturity, they can take conflict They can deal with the conflict. They don't look at who is at fault. They look what is it that we need to do and how do we go about it. As you can see, there is a lot of work to do to make a company with a culture of mutual trust and respect so that it can move faster and better than a company that has people but has no culture of mutual trust and respect. And it just grinds the people to the point when they leave or they are fired or they're or they get uh, whatever. And, And when they leave, they're already lost. They're disillusioned people. So badly managed companies take very good human resources, use them, destroy them, and send them back to the market. Like they pollute water and pollute air and pollute the earth. They also pollute the people on which they rely to succeed. I think it was a long talk here today. I repeat, I'm in Podgorica, the capital of of Montenegro. Uh, I just recorded this one-hour presentation, and now I'm on my way to meet with the Prime Minister and have dinner. I wish you all the best, and see you next week. Thank you.
0: Thank you again for joining us this week for Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Please tune in again next Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy your weekend and a successful week.